0: Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not nice a to come down this Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. God, oh. hmm. Cracker, that's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. G'day and welcome to The Educated Hunter. This week I had a chat with a good friend of mine, Jesse Redden. Uh, Jesse is the creative director, editor, cameraman, cinematographer at Jim Shorkey's Hunting Adventures. He has edited probably well over 300 episodes of that TV show now, so hugely experienced in that front as well as a bunch of filming and travelling to go along with it. The conversation I have with Jesse is an interesting one. It sort of follows his story arc from being a essentially a city boy, not really having any kind of hunting foundation or experience in that field, to what he is now, which is a hugely experienced um, editor and producer. Pretty laid back, but I hope you guys get some benefit out of it. Uh, we touch on a number of different subjects, and there's a couple of good yarns in there. So yeah, enjoy. So this is a pretty good start, actually, Jess. I come to your house to get a podcast from you, and you're supplying the,
1: the craft beers. Oh,
0: we're recording, is it? Are oh, yeah, it been recording right for a while. Oh, dear goodness. So thank you for taking the time, Jesse. I know you're a busy man. Um, pretty busy. I guess to start off,
1: what do you do for a job? So <clears throat> for the last uh, 15 years, I've been... Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures. So, Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures. I've been the uh, creative director, I guess that's my title, but editor and uh, cinematographer, I guess you'd call it. Right, so 15 years. 15 years. I'm the uh, second longest running guy working for Shockey next to Wojo. Next to Wojo. Wojo's got a year on me.
0: Well, you know what? To be fair,
1: you've certainly got age on, Wojo.
0: So you got youth on your side. <laughs> yeah, we'll if, you, if you if you're both digging your toenails, he's gonna, you know, nature will take care of him eventually. So <laughs> I'm I'm
1: I'm in for the long haul. I mean, Hunted Adventures is in season 16 right now, which okay, is so let me just do the Season 16,
0: season 16. yeah, that is insane. That's f- insane. Yeah, because I when did I come on board?
1: Team ish. You came on. Board, are we talking 2009? 2008. Mm.
0: Yeah, two thousand eight,
1: two thousand nine. Yeah, so yeah, you were in season he started in two thousand three, so right. simple math, you're in season six. Right. That was like ten years ago, holy man. Yeah.
0: Holy. So I was oh. that's what I said when I walked in the door, it was the stuff that I did was vintage compared to the stuff that you were doing that you're doing now.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. I'm actually as you speak today, I, w- I just I'm working on a New Zealand Tar show. And um <clears throat> Jim went there last year or a couple of years ago. He redid a tar hunt. But just to make more of a show of it, we're going into Nepal and we're going into the old tar hunt where he met you Oh, no kidding. with uh, Caledonia Safaris or something. Uh, that would have been
0: Kiwi Safaris.
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: Yeah, Kiwi Safaris and Colin would have been guiding him.
1: Yeah. Anyways, I, I have vintage footage of you on there right now, actually.
0: <laughs> that is going back a bit because that was a couple of years before I started. That's like 2006, 2007.
1: Yikes. Yeah, that's going way back. I think yeah. Bran might have filmed that. He did.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's where I met Bran. Yeah, I was on that hunt. Yeah. Okay, so let me do the math. So sixteen seasons, you say? So that's how many episodes in a season? Twenty?
1: Well, we when I started, it was first two few years we were thirteen a year, right. and then we went on to twenty six uh, episodes a year on the Outdoor Channel and Wild TV in Canada, and then uh, recently, I think in I think about two thousand twelve, we just started doing twenty episodes a year. So you're well over 300 episodes. I'm probably around 300 episodes edited, yeah, or been part of, yeah. It's it's insane. That take you. Of a long Of time. Jim Shockey's hunt adventures. Yeah, that's like
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's. Well, it it's just, it just blows your mind, really, because it you know the 22 minute or 21 minute episode that comes out of it is one thing, but it's the you know 50 hours of footage. That you've looked at oh, for each one of those episodes. If you start doing the numbers there, you've probably looked at more hunting footage than I would say ninety nine percent of the population.
1: Yeah, it's actually I never thought about it like that. But yeah, I've that's yeah, it's it's been insane. Um it's kinda of what got me into hunting, but yeah, just watching um lots of footage over the years and that is the struggle. You you take thirty hours of footage and you gotta you gotta cut that down to twenty two minutes. Do you, t- <coughs> oh, yeah, do, you, do you remember trying to teach me? Oh, tell me more. do you remember trying to teach me
0: what framing was? Yeah. Do you still have those drawings? Yeah, I think I do
1: somewhere. I deliberately kept them because. So. you were a bit of a greenhorn on the artsy side, right? You were more of that like would the kiwi, be probably the biggest un- tough guy. Understatement. Yeah, I, like, well, I don't know about that. Camera.
0: But in terms of running a camera,
1: like yeah. absolutely no idea. <laughs> Yeah, and that's when we were using the old cannon. Those those cannons were pretty good, but I do remember drawing you a stick man drawn for composition for like your first trip with Jim. Yeah. Wasn't that first trip Um, filming Eva Shockey's first official big yeah. game hunt? And how did that first, um, remember the first kill shot you filmed of Eva taking a big game animal? Where you,
0: it was, a, was it a walk Well,
1: I thought it was a reed buck.
0: Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. The official, how, who, official one. No, that was actually it? technically it was, her second. It's
1: technically <coughs> her second.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, the Warthog was her first. So the Warthog was the first one, and yeah. I didn't completely screw that up, which it was, was probably the, it was pretty good, yeah. the next one was yeah. a read buck, and I completely shit the bed from yeah. memory.
1: Oh, yeah, you fell apart. Yeah. I remember, um, the reason I remember it is because uh, uh, Jim and I went over the footage together when it, you got back from that trip. <laughs> and, uh, this yeah. It's an experience for everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, he Jim likes to critique footage. And yeah, he critiqued your footage as if I were the cameraman. So (laughs) how can you forget? (laughs) Like I I got I got torn a new one that day. Thinking I don't know, yeah. That was yeah. Yeah, you were just
0: unfortunately the one person that was within range, I suspect. If I'd been there I would have been equally as torn to shreds.
1: That was the ultimate fall apart on trying to film a kill shot. I'd actually no offense. Mentally um block that out <coughs> but at the end of the day Matt you you turned out to be an awesome cameraman and you were very uh I always liked working with Matt's footage because it was well composed you got what we needed and it only took b- me a year or two to figure it out thank you yeah it sometimes it comes natural to guys maybe those composition drawings I should um <laughs> get more into that if I find them
0: I'll photo photo and send them to you so you can stick them on your wall well I do really appreciate that because I mean from an editor's standpoint um you know, and this is something that I've picked up over the years. I've never been an official editor, but I've certainly had to deal with my own shitty footage on a regular basis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it must be incredibly frustrating <clears throat> when you've got, you know, a, a certain standard to uphold yeah. over a a course of time, which is Jim's TV series, which over time has improved. Oh yeah, drastically. But yeah. as an editor, it's sort of your business or creative director, you know, your job is to make sure that that level of quality is maintained and in the meantime you're getting camera change over and mm-hmm. dicks like me turning up <coughs> yeah, like that was, handing you 50 transition. hours of footage you know 80 percent of it's me filming the ground or you know too shaky to use or zooming in and out or just horrible stuff yeah. you know that or just failing to get that one key piece of footage
1: yeah and you're you're looking for like two five seconds of clips at a time of just good stuff you can really use or good sound bites and storytelling all that stuff and if there's something
0: missing out of the story like there's a page missing so to speak oh yeah it can make your life as an editor like a living hell because suddenly you're going to make you know the term well i use is
1: turn dog shit into honey is what you're expected to do oh Uh, yeah make make something out of nothing really sometimes but at the end of the day you know you these guys are out and the woods hunting and sometimes you just get what you get based on circumstances and stuff happens fast in the field so i always gave the cameraman the benefit of the doubt but um i do like judging footage out of a 10
0: <laughs> well it's, it's how you get better too i mean jim's critiquing's one thing but the if you know if no one's telling you what you're doing wrong then it's hard to improve yeah it's i think an advantage from you too, because you've done your fair share of f- filming as well so it yeah. certainly helps, you know, from your perspective to sort of visualize what's going on. And then I guess communicate to, you know, new guys or cameramen that you're working with what you need.
1: Yeah. And Jim, and Shockey's pretty, <clears throat> you know, you know, working with Shockey, he's got a, like, he knows what he wants and he yeah. tells you. But once you have a good system with Shockey, it's yeah. actually quite enjoyable to follow him around because there's a trust factor. But um, I don't know where I was going with that train of thought, but i did have some oh yeah i was <laughs> i know where i was going shocky boot camp i remember my first trip in the yukon yeah was yeah. shocky and we we came up with the name as Shockey boot camp because it's my first time filming there with jim at, a, at that unknown lake there in the yukon there yeah so that was, was your first that was 2006 big first time in the yukon second time because the first year i did with wojo in 2005
0: right so that was your shocky boot camp
1: Shockey boot camp. That's where the name Shockey boot camp came. Mm-hmm. That's it, and it's a boot camp, but once you get a system there, it, it's, it's less of a boot camp.
0: So first trip with Jim for filming was the Yukon.
1: No, no. For, so for, so I could get back to how I got started with Jim. Yeah, get back to that. <clears throat> because because let's start there cause previous
0: to working with Jim, Jim, you were
1: city hmm. slicker. Like so. So the story goes is um. I was living in Calgary, and I just did a media course, like a, a like a year media course, where we, we touch base in all the media programs, like Premiere, Photoshop, all that. You know, so I did a year course. <clears throat> I moved out here because um, my dad was out here; he's kind of sick, and I wanted to figure out my dad. And I was twenty five, twenty six. But life changes, you know. It's good. So I lined up a job at a t shirt shop as a graphic designer. You know, just anything. It's Duncan, mm-hmm. BC. Like there's. I was, I was oh, applying a a lot I, yeah I was applying <laughs> not much I was I was applying at Canadian Tire I couldn't even get a job at Canadian Tire I was like what the heck anyways so I got a job at a t-shirt shop and I was basically tracing logos um, ready for embroidery and uh, Jim Bissenden Jim's Shockey's sidekick at the time he walked in and talking to how he needed t-shirts and jackets made for just Shockey who had a TV show in the States and uh, he was hunting all around the world and he was in Russia and blah 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 so at the time, I had my website up, and that was, like, my portfolio site. So I gave it, I gave him a business card, and and then I went to meet Jim in at his house, and he showed me all Shockey's DVDs, and I was like, what the heck? Is this, like, guy from WWF? Like, what <laughs> is going on? I just thought, like, Ultimate Warrior, like, it was so – it's pretty cheeseball. Like, the yeah. old hunting adventures, like, 2003. Yeah. This is, like, when things were just getting digital, and it looked like – Anyways, so I I stayed on him and I saw that as a huge opportunity because I just came out of this, you know, city slicker course in Calgary, feeling all kind of hipster, but not hipster, you know, trying to do something cool. And I looked at it as an opportunity and then I got invited to go to um, Saskatchewan for a month Mm -hmm. to meet Cody Robbins. At the time, he was uh, shocky's like just a kid who loved to hunt and started following Jim around with camera and learned to edit. And I lived at um, Cody's house for a month <laughs> on his couch. <laughs> his truck got stolen, a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But anyways, I just tagged along with Cody filming to prove yeah. myself. And and uh, shocky would come in at the end of the whitetail day. You know, whitetail what whitetail was like, and he'd bring me. Um, he got me to edit some stuff and then that, that trip Jim was going to Wyoming. So I got I got locked on to uh going to Wyoming. I got to pretend that I knew how to ride a horse with Bruh. a video camera. Uh, that was fun. And then so for about three weeks Sh- Shockey Shocky would go to Wyoming, hunt elk. I'd go with him and film and then I'd come back for five days and film s- and hang out with Cody Robbins and and then I came back in December after that and um got signed on with Shocky and then slowly um tried to create a job edit in helping Cody Robbins and then I slowly took on hunting adventures and once I had kids I stopped start doing less filming and that's when um, other guys came on like Todd Bissett and uh, you uh, Guy Judge other guys yeah. brand started getting serious about being super artistically <laughs> talented brand yeah so yeah yeah went from okay. there but so Wyoming
0: so was good so that at that point you weren't really a hunter be a fierce fear to say
1: uh, no no
0: not even close um do you yeah what, do you remember what you thought about hunting did you have uh, any impressions of it or were you, uh, well i had a couple of buddies
1: sort of whose parents you know in alberta would they'd go on a hunt with their dads like every winter or whatever or every fall yeah i didn't really pay much attention to it um in terms of hunting i just thought it was like the stereotypical redneck guys i didn't understand the uh really the value and like just being outside in the woods, because I've always been outdoors guys. Like I love fishing. I yeah. was huge. Fi- I was a huge fisherman. Like I love. I'm a tryhard fisherman. Like I never catch anything, but right. I love fishing. And when I moved here, I was like, you know, I, that was my interest was fishing. But I also love the outdoors. And yeah, I had no. I'd never been on a hunt. Never, ever been on a hunt. I mean, so that first go. hunt I went on was riding horseback with Jim in Wyoming and pretending I knew. How to ride a horse properly and operate a camera, and like it was, it was pretty, pretty intense trip.
0: Yeah, I've I've been there in both facets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretending I know how to ride a horse for quite some time, and then pretending I knew how to. Well, I don't think I ever pretended I knew how to operate a video camera. It was pretty obvious. Yeah, you did pretty good. Pretty obviously, everybody. I didn't know really what I was doing, but
1: but yeah, and my wife was vegan or vegetarian too, so that was she didn't get it at first. (laughs) <laughs> but she gets it now. She yeah. gets it now. Yeah, she she appreciates because, hunting now. I mean, I even
0: when I met you in two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. you still weren't really no a hunter hunter. No, and yet I turn up here. You got a boat in the driveway, and you've got blacktail horns on the wall. And before we hit record, you just got done telling me that you're thinking you might move <laughs> to a spot that's got some really good blacktail hunting. I know that's crazy. Like to me, you've you've uh, swung full
1: well yeah and i still i've it's for me it's always been about getting out so i love filming hunts i love just being out in nature and getting close to wild animals and then i just really appreciate you know you know that whole cliche hunt get your own organic meat like seriously it is it's organic meat like you buy organic produce at the grocery store it's more expensive and you do that because you want to eat clean and you just don't know what people are putting in stuff and and to go out with your boys and be able to get a deer and process it and show them like proper respect for nature and have like close encounters and you know the the ups and downs of a hunt and I always love that and like the storytelling and hunting adventures I always love like the adventure of the hunt. Yeah, you boys enjoy it. Yeah. How old are your boys now? Eight and ten. Cato's almost eleven. Actually, he's right. turned eleven this week. So. so they're getting right into it, probably. Yeah, Cato just got his hunter core this at ten. Oh, good he, he got his, uh, so he can. Legally can get attacked. He can but, put into all your LEHs. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he will. We will, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's into it, but I, you know, cautiously optimistic because, you know, there's. I'm I, like last year I hunted hard because I just wanted to figure out how to hunt, how I can do this legally, where I can hunt, and so I can take the boys and know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like when I go fishing, I know what I'm doing. I can kind of, because I've been doing it. But hunting, I've always. Even on these trips with Jim, I'm always filming, so I'm kind of my head's more in the film, and I'm not really paying attention to the technical hunting. Like Jim's taking a shot at an animal, I'm not thinking; I'm just trying to compose it right, yeah. get that composition, and and not jump on the shot and what happens after, and get the right. So I wasn't ever really thinking about hunting. Yeah, I was just which on is the one hunks. of the
0: hardest things for me was going the other way. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. having hunted since I was very young. Mm-hmm. I was acutely aware of things that were happening on the hunting plane that I should have have got not really anything to do with me in terms of being a cameraman, <laughs> so I was noticing things and worrying about things and wanting to point things out that mm-hmm. you know I knew were going south or you know they were standing over here when they probably should have been over here or I can see an animal and they can 't and all that kind of stuff I used to find quite distracting. It was very hard for me to essentially be able to let all of that stuff go up to a certain point and become Mm -hmm. less spatially aware which sometimes isn't great particularly when you're hunting things that can flatten you yeah because I mean to be very good at filming you really need to have your head in the game in the filming and just be filming what's happening but at some point you need to have a cutout switch there that if there's an elephant bearing down the lens of the camera at some point you're going to have to get out of the way
1: I've had some Elephants, so. you've had a couple, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Have you? No, you ever hunted elephants? elephants.
0: Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got they're nice, sort of features. chased around quite a bit. Yeah, so did I. I thought they were nice, big, peaceful giants. But and they are, they're awesome. They, they generally are, unless they've got people chasing them around trying to shoot them with d-volt batteries oh, and homemade muzzle loaders and you know yeah. things like that, which <clears throat> tends to upset them a bit, which is fair enough. Yeah, so anywhere, yeah. I mean, to. Elaborate on anywhere where there's human elephant conflict, and the elephants are used to being poached mm-hmm. or um, chased around because of you know, oh, yeah. crops and all that kind of stuff. They they go off people pretty quickly, so they become quite quite dangerous. Yeah, so, yeah. To answer Wild your question, animals. you've been yeah. never out in the open, no. Or the, my shitty elephant experiences were always in the jungle, so Cameroon. Well, you're in
1: Cameroon with Jim, on that? Uh, not that
0: one, but oh, I did the blotch. A, did that a was a
1: bad one. Yeah, that was a bad one. Who was on I that was one? there? Were you on that for one? the Cameroon, the pygmy one where we were? Uh, yeah, and the and the uh, the the pH he, he shot before Jim right yeah. in his ear. So we we got that was an intense talk. That was crazy. it yeah. was with Mike Fell too. Mike Fell was there. But we were on the on an elephant for like a couple hours just on a trail, and you can't see anything in those jungles. It's crazy. And we all of a sudden I see Jim setting up. Jim's setting up, and then Mike's setting up, and the guide's setting up, and I'm just kind of trying to get the shot. And then all of a sudden, the guide, boom, 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 and Jim's like, "I, well, I can't say what Jim said. He wasn't too impressed because the guide shot first. Yeah, Jim had a clear shot. I guess <clears throat> I watched the footage a couple of years ago again, and you could actually see the elephant turn around. The elephant was just turn around and look at us. He wasn't gonna charge. No, so that was a but that was a pretty intense hunt.
0: Yeah, the, the elephant hunting is fairly intense. I, uh, it's, from an emotional standpoint, it's pretty, it's such a big animal. And they're so, I don't know, there's so many emotions that being from the Western world, we attach to yeah. them. So um, so it's hard.
1: Yeah. And how early on in your career were you for that? Uh, so that was kind of in my prime standard deaf filming career <laughs> days. <laughs> so <laughs> we're talking like. Two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Those were my big days of filming with Jim, two thousand and eight. And then after that, once I had kids and you know, we're popping out twenty six shows a year and that's a lot of work. That is a lot so, of work. So yeah. So yeah. I don't know what the question was there, I lost train of thought, but
0: um so let's go back to getting run over by things. Okay. You nearly got run over by you you seem to be quite good at nearly getting run over by things. Yeah, the
1: hippo one was pretty good. That was dumb. The hippo one? Yeah, tell me about the hippo. The hippo one. one. So the hippo one okay, so the big rule I guess you know in Africa, don't get between hippos and water. Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway <laughs> Yeah, that's generally the rule. Yeah. But we were hunting swamps and there was a swamp to the right, but there's I guess the hippos were out on the left, obviously, in the bushes. But I was filming, I was getting this epic shot of Jim. This is where I almost missed the shot. You didn't want to see Jim yeah. get happy. Did you get that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I was just getting this nice shot. You know when you're, you know, you're kind of zoomed in full punch and yeah. you're getting that nice epic shot. They're about to go around this corner. Yeah. So I was just finishing off the shot and I could kind of hear stuff. And then literally, like, I hit I hit pause. And as I hit pause, the hippo Came flying out of the bushes. They were 20 yards in front of me. I, normally, I would have been behind Jim. Yeah. And then I hit record, and I, you know, pulled and barely got it. But the hippo came just flying out, almost ran over Jim and the PH. Good chance if I would have been behind Jim, because... Anyways, that was pretty intense. Um, The the elephant charge, of course. But the most intense, actually my scariest moment in life, and I tell people this all the time, was... um. When we were in a tent in Tanzania with Mike Fell, and in the morning hunted lions, and the lion came up to the tent, and yeah. I don't think Bran had a similar experience, but he was <clears throat> to hear a roaring lion outside your tent, and to be sitting there, like I was sitting in the tent, and right at the morning light, you know, yes. you're just ah, prime time, and you can hear a lion roaring. Like, this, this is pretty intense. Anyways, then, <laughs> then all of a sudden you could just see the lion slowly his face coming right to the blind, and yeah, I've never like I seriously just. Shook and hid behind my tripod, and just kind of hoped for the best for about four minutes, and then Jim's like, "Don't move!" <laughs> I was like, "Ah!" and I was uncontrollably shaken. Yeah, and not, nothing other, nothing other major charges. The leopard hunt was pretty intense, and uh, that Cameroon hunt, and then I've had other unique experiences uh, doing stuff. The red stag in Turkey that I almost missed—that was fun. I was actually asleep from jet lag when. It came up, trying, 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 waking up from a dead sleep yeah. with your camera off when the, what you saying, it. are you on him? Yeah. That's not good. Not the best feeling in the world. Not good. <laughs> are you on him? No. I'm just. Just wait. Like, you know, when you're jet lag and yeah. you like you just, you could fall asleep on drop of a dime. Anyways, I've, it was a long story, but they were pushing bush and the, the deer popped out and,
0: Oh, so it was not just like a nice, relaxed deer appearing in front of the ball? No, it was, was pr- it was like we were intense. looking for this deer and, yeah, but it was,
1: you know. So was that in Turkey? That was in Turkey, yeah. That was a, a, a screw-up. I've had some screw-ups,
0: too. I think if you've filmed for long enough, you, everybody's had screw-ups. If any cameraman tells me that they get every kill shot perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely 100% full of shit. Hmm. Anyways. What's your best Mark Fowl story?
1: Best Mike Fell story. Yeah. Oh man.
0: Well, side note: Mike Fell just a pretext is yeah, a as a as Mike a PH. <laughs> he's a professional hunter in Tanzania, isn't he? Mainly, yeah, Tanzania.
1: Tanzania mainly, but I think he's kind of all over. He's pretty well known in the. Yeah, he's a pretty well known professional hunting journeyman. I guess you'd call him. I think, <laughs> My... well, Mike Fell. Oh, he was. He was intense. He was good. Like I, I felt so comfortable in Africa with Mike Fell. I see he, him every year when he came yeah. on that Cameroon trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's the real deal out there. Like he just he lives it. But um, in Cameroon, I tried. I thought it'd be funny if I tried to because he was bugging me. He's he's actually putting those you know those ants in Cameroon that like, yeah. they when they bit you, it actually felt like someone was like jabbing you with a knife with a hot knife. Anyways, he like <laughs> collected this leaf. of of them and he threw it on my back and then all these (laughs) like and i'm trying to film jim at a time hunting dikers and he's dropping ants on my back that sting like like dude really and jim's like shut up you know why don't make any noise and meanwhile i'm getting stuck like a whole tree of ants on my back anyways so that afternoon i thought i'd you know try and take him take mike fell like just gotta you know wrestle with him a bit and he put me in a headlock, man. And my head, I've never, like, my head, I felt it squish. I'm like, never, whatever, do whatever you want. I'm not going to fight you. Like, Ever. I was like, uncle, uncle, like, I, yeah. I my head's going to squish. I'm going to he, die. He's sort of shaped yeah. like an upside down triangle. Yeah, Jim doesn't make fun of his looks often. Um, him and Jim have a, I actually really like working with Mike Fells footage and Jim because they have like, you know, chemistry, right? Yeah. You think of, uh, line mates on the ice. We, in hockey, we think, yeah. like, I guess in you New Zealand guys would Do think rugby. of, uh, rugby. Rugby is a sport, right? Yeah, it okay. is. Yeah, okay. It's kind of like, it's kind of like hockey without equipment.
0: Well, it's kind of like hockey without the equipment and, and the f- figure skating
1: element. Wow. Did we go there? Are we Are we going to compare the two boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, hockey's definitely a little more manly. It just They just wear a little more padding. <clears throat> it's a good sport for anyone in New Zealand who hasn't played hockey. Tell me why you enjoy hunting blacktail so much. <clears throat> Man, blacktail. Because it's not like they're, cause that one is <sighs> quite
0: a big blacktail that you've got That's on. A nice black tail. That's so a nice blacktail. That's a nice little blacktail. What I'm looking at tail. there is a, for every of the New Zealand listeners, it's a. If you shot that on Stewart Island in New Zealand, you'd be quite happy.
1: And this guy, this is the first one I got. That's, that's a little, that's even nice for here, around here. But that guy, when I got, that's quite the story on that guy.
0: Tell me the story on that
1: guy. And it's kind of a funny story. So I was hunting with my boys. This is last year, October 18th, actually. And I, uh, I'd been hunting for, just starting to get into it, you know, or I was, yeah, that week we were pushing pretty hard because I knew something, because the does were coming out at sunset every yeah. time. And it was just a matter of time before a buck showed up. So as a project this year, you know, with social media and my kids getting into it, I got, I had a video camera with Cato, my oldest. Yeah. And he's like, you know, kind of videoing the hunt. I started a little thing called a hunting story, which was, I was going to film my first, my blacktail hunt with my boys and make yeah. a little video a little about it. it yeah. yeah. A little short of it. <clears throat> Anyways. So right at, prime time there's like one doe two doe three doe four doe five doe and then the big guy he sticks his nose out and i'm like oh yeah that's a big deer." anyways my first thing is like kato do you got your camera is is, is are you on him i'm, yeah. not, I'm like Uh-oh. so and Kato's was <laughs> like oh dad no so i'm for two minutes i'm worried about the camera i'm like what am i doing why do i even care so in those two minutes it Light goes quick. Yeah, the deer walked out. He sat there broadside for about a minute and 30. I was on him and I'm arguing with my son about if he's on him with a camera. Like, what is it? What am I doing? Just shoot. Like, who cares about camera? But I'm kind of thinking in from like, you know, tell this story of my first blacktail or not my first, but anyway. So, by the time Kato's like, Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> Dear goodness. So then I um, he went about 25 yards from there, and it's pretty low light. I fired two shots. I missed on the first one. Second one, I think I hit him. And so I gave it like five, ten minutes because it's pretty much dark at that point. And I go, and I can't see any blood. I can't see anything. And then, you know, hunting with kids. Yeah. Tiger's got to go pee. He's hungry. Kato's cold. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, dude. I think I just missed him. <clears throat> so, gotta get the kids home. Get in the bed. I'm stressing out because I I, I grabbed the stealth cam pics. I look at them and I see the buck. Cause I had he came right up the trail where the stealth cam was, yeah. so I could see the buck. I was. It was a nice buck, and I felt sick. So next morning I went there, and I'm not like I'm like seriously amateur hour when it comes to hunting because that's why I hunt so hard the last two seasons, because I want to learn to hunt, yeah. not just film. So I didn't see any blood. I didn't see anything. I looked around, nothing, like nothing. So I was like, you know what? I, it was so low light, I, I just think I missed. Anyways, <clears throat> so about five, five days later, I'm just hunting this, hiking through the woods to stand, and I bumped this huge black bear. And the black bear is just staring me down right pretty aggressive like usually black bears on the island like they'll they might stare you down if they're in the rut they might yeah but then they're off right this guy just stared me down and then he just sat and i literally had to like walk i don't i didn't have a tag so i just left it and i've never shot a bear so i'm still kind of you know vegan that way working my way up to that but they're good eating they're good you know here and you know anyways there's huge black bear i was like wow that was crazy so then so then I just okay the bear spooked off. I went hunting nothing, and the next day I was like taking Cato hunting, and I'm like, I'll show you where the bear was. So I walk up to the bears. I'm like, oh man, it really stinks around here. And boom, there's my buck. He was he was sitting on my deer, and it was 80 yeah. yards from where I'd shot. Right. That yeah, and the buck was dead, and the bear had found him. Well, there you go. Tragic story. So a waste of meat, and yeah, lesson learned. Uh, lots of lessons learned and i think that's why i pushed myself so hard last season cuz seriously the only way to learn is from being out there and doing it right yeah and actually and i i learned a lot of lessons last year and
0: well i mean that's how you learn though i mean i <coughs> think that's part of you know every hunter i know has had that happen to them and we uh, i mean the the good thing about what makes it a great learning experience for you is you get that feedback mhm i think there's plenty of people that have shot at something then couldn't find it called it a miss and walked away when the reality was it was dead somewhere you just didn't find it yeah so it's quite easy to dismiss that but you never get the feedback of no actually it was dead it was hit you just didn't find it so having that positive feedback or negative feedback I guess it was mm-hmm. I think is a you know it probably leapfrogs you forward in terms of actual learning timetable as a hunter because mm-hmm. you know now that just because you don't see blood in the first 100 meters doesn't mean you haven't.
1: Yeah, you no, know. I know. And it's, I felt like, you know, I was, yeah, you know, there's lots, I, I relive that, you know, it's too bad because it was, it was a nice deer, like, for out here, that was, that was a pretty nice deer. I, I've had I was that, pretty excited about it. From a
0: guiding perspective, I, uh, a few years ago now, but um, I was I was guiding with another gentleman and he had his hunter and I had my hunter and we were tagged out and we were, Away down the other end of the valley for the day we must have still had a caribou tag or something because we were still hunting but we're coming back and um just was coming back i just happened to look up and saw a moose on the side of the mountain big paddle sticking out oh shit that's a good looking moose and got off the horses tied up and set up the moose spotting scope and i'm looking at this moose and and i was like man those guys should be at least around there somewhere, so I sort of casually glanced around, and sure enough, here they come across from the mountain. They'd seen them as well, and they were hunting them. Yep. So we are just in a perfect spot to watch it all unfold. So I watched it all unfold, and I had the moose and them in the same frame on my spotting scope, so I could see that what was happening really well. And the moose stood up, looked at them, and then it reacted like it was hit, and then spun around and took off, went over a little knob and down into some timber. And it, it looked like a hit to me, and yet the gunshot is, because we were way, way away, the gunshot's two or three seconds delayed. Yeah. So in my mind, when I saw that animal just randomly flinch, I thought, okay, they've definitely hit him. All right, so perfect, most nice, great. So we get back on the horses and ride around them up to the top where they are, go give them a hand, and we get in there, and they're walking around, and we can't find it, he missed. Mm-hmm. And I knew... You know, my gut feeling was he definitely hit him, right? And I, I sort of got to the guide to the one side and said, Look, we watch, I watched the whole thing happen. How well could you see him when he shot? And he said, Oh, I was kind of obstructed, was his first answer. I couldn't really tell. But I think he's missed it because, it, you know, they were only 25 yards away. So I was like, Look, from where I was it looked like a hit. So, you know, I was determined to find blood because I was bloody mm-hmm. sure. And looked and looked and looked and looked and couldn't find. As hard as I tried, everybody else had given up. Everyone, all three of them had given up. Yeah. But I was just being a dogged and just kept trying and trying. And I never found blood. So I knew that he hit it, but I couldn't prove it. so you didn't we see walk- anything? No, I couldn't find anything. So we walked away from that. Oof. And I, you know, he ended up getting another moose. And it just bugged me, bugged me, bugged me. And the next hunt, and what do we mean the hunt after that? Oh, no. I um had a little bit of extra time. I was to speak <laughs> out again. And I just Fuck. So I <laughs> So I rode like, on where you off to, man, I'm gonna go cut some trail. So I rode up there on like my for own grizzlies. Yeah. <laughs> rode up there on my own and just sat on top of the hill and sure enough you hear the ravens, right? Really? So I walked around and sure enough, there's you know, moose. He's a you know, dead moose. Um and he he was in a a logical spot Mm -hmm. because when he'd run and when I'd seen him run, he'd obviously got out of sight and then turned 90 degrees and come back underneath him
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then gone probably 300 metres. Yeah. Right. And I don't know where he hit him, but he obviously, like, we'd checked, but not I hadn't checked that way because it seemed illogical to check back that way. But it just shows that, you know, it it can happen – regularly even with a good shot you know yeah. those animals can go a long way particularly if they're a little bit wound up
1: i think yeah i i just i think the biggest thing i learned is i'm not going to take a shot unless i'm like confident like 100 percent confident yeah. some i mean sometimes yeah like that shot i kind of regret taking but it was like i've never seen a blacktail like that in my yeah. life and Really, the mistake lies in me trying to get my 10 year old to get the video camera on. Like, what am I thinking? <laughs> Seriously. Like, who? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm not there to make a movie. Like, yeah. it, it's a fun little side project with the kids to do, like, yeah. the blacktail hunt video. But, I mean, come on, Jess. Yeah. I got I to get the be kids be To in your bed in the,
0: and, in you know. defense, you've you've had that drilled into you. Drilled into me, yeah. With a flat side mallet for yeah. 15 years of your career. So it's not entirely. Surprising that you were worried about. No,
1: the I was. I was concerned, and and you think about we were just touching on moose, like one of my favorite animals to uh, film. Actually, coming in on you with a hunter is is a rutted moose for sure, hands down. Like, do you have like a top three animals that you filmed or close encounters or anything like that? Um, or what's the yeah. what's the one that you kind of really that defines your uh, defines my film in my, yeah, my life as a cameraman?
0: Yeah. It was always just such a relief to get the kill shot on camera, I, it, yeah. know, and then I was worried about the next one.
1: Well, once you started doing the... Prefer- like, Nepal was pretty intense.
0: Nepal was pretty intense, and that didn't help that I was coughing up a lung the whole time. That was... That was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I mean, It's like, Nepal. like where you peaked. That was good good
1: time. I remember Nepal, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was great yeah. times. Um... I don't know, man. Kill shot wise, I don't know. You tell me. You're the one who hit no, the. I'm trying
1: one. to think through all your stuff. I mean, hands down, my favorite video to play is your second, Eva's second big game animal ever getting shot, and you falling apart. Oh, <laughs> that. <laughs> that was unreal. The uh, I've, I've showed part. people that I don't even video like. Yeah. This is uh, this is the worst thing. No, you but could Matt Matt did, did good. I, yeah. What's one of one of Matt's? Mm. Remember the you did the dart hunt didn't you for the rhino yeah i did that first one or second one he started too, did didn't one. he
0: yeah, so it was the black rhino that was that oh, same, black rhino that was the
1: same trip but then you know what i really most appreciated about you was your uh diary cams for the professionals <laughs> and i would watch those and i, I was tearing up <laughs> I, I would listen to a matt a maddie a maddie diary cam i'd be like you know what he said a lot of good things there, and I'm I'm in tears. I believe him. I'm I'm on that mountain, and I believe a, it. It was an emotional
0: punching bag for eighty percent of the time on those trips. Was I was mentally and physically spent.
1: I always liked your uh, your on camera presence. Was that was a unique kind of stage for you when you started being more behind the camera with that little thing?
0: Yeah, it certainly was a little bit of an unexpected um,
1: turn of events. Yeah but, yeah, but that was kind of like when you're, that's, yeah, that's kind of almost like when people started. Well, it's because the cameras got small enough that you could. Mm-hmm. And you had the night vision, and it, it shot good quality, and those little Sonys still, like Jim still packs around an old Sony.
0: But. Do most editing here now?
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, established at home. Right. Home office, which, pros and cons to that, like, yeah. On I paper, it sounds awesome, but with kids, and, so I'm slowly trying to separate the two, like... Yeah, but kids and just yeah, yeah. family like to separate work from home because I can always like even last night I was cutting together uh, episode 11 of season 16 Spain ibex and I was I had to cut out six minutes and I did it till 1 a.m. last night once the kids went to bed because that's that's when you got a window that's when you got a window you got quiet and you can focus yeah. so when the kids are in school and something yeah you just get it done when you can yeah Spain ibex that was a good hunt you do that one that was my that was actually one of the first trips i filmed with jim was a a spain ibex hunt and uh i remember trying to film on the camera i haven't really been in too many mountains yeah and i yeah almost fell off the did a you know fell up, did a todd visit and fell off the mountain i was like oh i guess i should as i'm filming walking with the video camera on a mountain i should check where my feet are and like make sure there's no cliffs so I remember thinking that on the mountain as I was trying to like, film my first Ibex. Yeah. I also remember um, <clears throat> going over my first dozen kills with Jim, like dozen kill shots, with right. like my first 12 kill shots. So, I so he for critiqued
0: Jim. 12 in a row? Back no,
1: back. we just, after every hunt, as I was learning, we'd, yeah. we'd come back and you would want me to play Show back to on him. the tape, the video footage, or uh, those days you'd put the tape in, get it on the, yeah. those were fun days. They yeah. he used to call me Jesse Zoom because I'd, I'd fall apart on the kill shots. We talked about getting getting caught up in the hunt, you know, how things yeah. happen fast. I would just zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, whoa, whoa, whoa. you just panic. But really filming a hunt, it's just, there's a science to it. Like it's like a mathematical equation. Yeah. And you got to know that on the animal, stay on the animal. Yeah. The animal gets shot, stay on him until he comes down, pull back, hunter's reaction. Like pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah. And if you don't do that...
0: <laughs> okay, so from a from a TV show perspective, what mm. elements do you need to make a 21-minute TV show?
1: Well, Shockey Show has those five elements. Oh, I hope I remember them. Humor, one. Family, two. Adventure, three. Big game, four. What's the fifth? Culture. Culture. Yes, culture. So those five elements pretty much make up hunting adventures. And we've kind of stuck with that motto and kind of like what see Hunt Adventures is a little different than Professionals, Uncharted, uh Yukon Uncharted because basically with Hunt Adventures it's you know, Matt or whoever followed Jim around on this hunt and this is what happened. And I'm gonna linear story tell you what happened. Yeah. Like there's no fake stuff. Jim landed, he drove to the location, he met this guide, this is his guide, this is the pH They headed out this day, this is what they saw, day two, day three, day four, day five they got the animal, or they didn't get the animal, and then they went home, everybody's happy. Yeah. And that's pretty much, you know, it's the the adventure of the hunt, like what happened on the hunt, whereas, you know, pros and uncharted was a little more, a little trickier because it's a little more, almost scripted and like, um, I don't know, just a little different than hunt adventures, but Yeah. So, yeah, those five elements make up the show. It's funny, too, because
0: Uncharted and all the ones that have come sort of after Professionals are, you know, on on some reasons, on some levels, they're a lot more detailed about what actually happened. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're a little bit more following a certain theme um, rather than just what happened. Like, there'll be a, you know, something will happen early on and sort of zoom in on that theme and, and follow that theme through to the end, which, from a filming standpoint, um, throws a lot more uh, onus on whoever's getting filmed and the cameraman to tell the story mm-hmm. in real time, which trying to do it in real time can be quite difficult when you don't have the the ability to voice over stuff Yeah, to bridge a
1: gap. Bridge a gap, yeah. yeah. We used to do a lot of voiceovers with Hunt Adventures when I came on. Jim used to always bridge the gap with voiceovers, but we generally um just avoid we, oh, yeah, avoid we them yeah. Yeah, Well we they are just... a lot more work anyway. Well they're more work. We do like the segments, the cheese ball, like the SCI. Yeah. Uh, tell- you know the SCI song? Yeah. Yeah. I tell people that I when I got a eight gig iPod for the first time, I I looped that song and went for a long run. I don't know if you ever heard the SCI song, it's horrible. <laughs> Cody Robbins picked that, but I'm obsessed.
0: Before I leave Canada, my number one goal is to try and get a big BC mule
1: deer. Like island buck or? No, like mainland. Mainline, yeah. Because they get bigger BC. on the mainland.
0: Yeah, they do. I mean, they sort of drift from black tail to yeah. coastal. And then once you get up into the mountains, you're into full-on mule deer. Yeah. So the big boys and girls that live in the sort of north of Lillooet, mm-hmm. um, are proper big deer. But I just find them fascinating because getting a big one ninety two hundred inch mule deer in BC mm-hmm. on demand is impossible. You can't.
1: Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta put a lot of work. You in it, put right. a lot of work in. So you or can't. Or drive around the logging road and bump into and the right guy into one, at time.
0: And then you know guys that hunt them for twenty years that way, they'll mm-hmm. shoot one maybe. Yeah. If they're lucky, or one of their buddies they know will shoot one maybe lucky. Mm-hmm. But to actually go out and physically be looking for those deer is very, very difficult. And I find them intriguing because they don't call when they're running. They're mm-hmm. pretty well quiet. If you're really close to them, they are making noises when they're really wound up, but they're not enough to, you know, sit back like an elk or a red deer and roar them and have them answer you and go, okay, there's something in there I can go and concentrate over there. Mm-hmm. So hunting them in that mountain environment early November when there's snow on the ground Oof. is tough. Like it's hard. I've never done it. It's Seriously. So good, like me and Michael Schroeder, you know Mike Schroeder, oh, yeah. yeah, Schroeder, yeah. We go, Schroeder's probably got some good stories. Yeah, we go every year. Do you? Yeah. So we've we've got an eight day backpack hunt for
1: mule deer. You organized. filming that?
0: No, probably not.
1: See, like, like my head always goes to like, why aren't you filming that? An eight day day back like imagine the footage you guys would get out of it'd that be insane it'd be awesome. like we have a shitload of footage from the years
0: we've done it yeah need we've a free had cameraman? broken yeah man <laughs> calm <on> down broken <laughs> uh had my heart broken a number of times yeah from big mule to okay. the um yeah <laughs> that we we're talking no okay. no
1: because i remember that too
0: we that's a good story yeah. we uh it was probably four years ago now in our little, one of our little spots there and we'd walked in and we'd actually walked up to the top of the mountain, spent three days up on the top of the mountain and it snowed and it got cold, like minus 15 cold and at the on our second to last day the cloud came down and we couldn't see anything and it was white out so we thought bugger it. So we broke camp, walked down to the bottom of the mountain and we were just starting to get to the point where we were not going to be hunting anymore and the, fog lifted or bugger it so we looped back around onto another little mountain and glassed across onto the faces we were being camped on top of and sure enough right at the top there's this giant like giant mule deer and he's in the top of a burn and we had to to get to where he was we had to drop sort of probably five or six hundred feet down into a nastiest canyon you can imagine full of ice and snow and shit and then climb up a burn and negotiate two or three really, really ugly bluffs mm-hmm. to get up to where he was. And we were, at that point, it was probably 11 o'clock in the morning. That time of year, it was getting dark by sort of 5, 5.30. Yeah. And so to get to where he was was going to be a real challenge. We both sort of looked at each other and thought, we have to try? Yeah. Like, we just have to try. <laughs> so we basically dumped everything other than backpacks and a bit of survival gear in case we got stuck on the mountain and went for it. And whatever reason, Mike was in better shape than me. That was back when he was still Seriously? still guiding Dole um, oh. Sheep and, yeah, and yeah. the NWT. Mike's so, pretty solid. So he's a stout woman. I could probably take him,
1: but he's pretty solid. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so he had me for fitness for sure. And, I, and it was, for whatever reason, I can't remember why, it was my turn to pull the trigger. He might have got one there before or something. So anyway, we walked and walked and walked. And it was probably about three and a half hours later, we were, say, three quarters of the way up to where we'd last seen this deer bed down with all his does. Yeah. And we were crossing a little gully just before where we th- thought he was bedded up above us on a bench. So as we are crossing the gully, we busted a bunch of deer out of this gully. And four or five does came running out, and a buck followed them out. <clears throat> and he was big, wide, running away. So I dropped to one knee... And loaded my rifle and Mike threw his binoculars up and he said, That's him at the back. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So one, two, three, bang, hammered him and rolled him while he was as he was running. Oh, you got him. And then he puts his binos back up <coughs> and I can just see his whole body language change. Oh. he looks at me and he goes, That's not him, bro. <laughs> I'm so sorry, that's not him.
1: Well who was and it? I was
0: like, Oh and both of us both sort of instinctively looked up. and here's this looming silhouette of this giant (laughs) deer looking down over the bank and it's like whoa what's going on down there and of course you know we've got the one tag yeah, and it's we've got to carry the whole thing out of this like literally it's hell like so steep all burnt blow down it's like walking through a game of burnt pick up sticks like it's the worst so we've got the deer we've got so we walk up to it and it's thankfully it's legal Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was a three by four but it was um you know (laughs) we turned down bigger deer on that trip (laughs) right so that's the deer you're stuck with so i loving them he's actually Mm -hmm. on on the wall in my parents place back in new Zealand. and every time i look at him i've got nothing but admiration for him and love it to death
1: and that's the point there is every you know that's what i grew to appreciate about you know, hunting is every animal has a story, a challenge, something you had to, an obstacle you had to overcome. And yeah, I mean, but as you're telling that story, like I'm thinking, what would have I done in that situation? Like, what have I, Like, I don't know enough about hunting to know that the wind's going this way. We're going to go this way. I like, so, because I'm always following these guys around and I'm not really paying attention. So to hear you, it just makes me think, man. I gotta learn a lot when it comes to uh. You learn hunting. by
0: doing it, right? Yeah. And it's like I tell them, like, look, the thing is that the young guys, and you've spent time with them in the Yukon. That yeah. We we send over here to Canada. Twiggy. The, the reality is that they've actually done a lot more hunting, on average, than most guys have done in North America,
1: mm-hmm. because
0: of the way that we set up. We can hunt 365 days of the year.
1: That's pretty. We they're can good shoot hunters. As That's
0: many good. animals as we want. Yeah. Wow. So sneaking <laughs> up on stuff yeah, in <laughs> big numbers because we don't have any natural predators. Yeah, and they, yeah. they do exceptionally well and they don't have okay. any competition for browse. So they do really, really well. So without hunting and commercial hunting, mm-hmm. they get out of control. Mm-hmm. So we have to hunt them. So for that reason, there's a lot more opportunity to, to, learn. to learn and make mistakes. Yeah. And the difference is if you're successful... Last weekend, you can still go out. Next weekend, and the weekend after, and the next That's weekend crazy, after, man. so you get all that positive feedback in a very short period of time. So when you, you know, once you hit ten, eleven, twelve, and you start getting right into it, yeah. and you get your firearms license at sixteen, yeah, you're away, mm-hmm. and you're getting those lessons. And we, and I, probably take it for advantage you know, take it for, um, for granted that yeah. I've had those lessons and it becomes a lot more instinctive well it is quite instinctive for me and I mean if you look at someone like Mike Schroeder who you know for a Canadian has done a lot of hunting oh yeah Schroeder man you know be it be guiding or his own personal hunting he's sort of you know a guy that the way that we hunt mule deer is different you mentioned the guys that drive around in their truck on the logging roads and the thing about BC is a lot of access (coughs) Into the backcountry by logging road. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to hunt that is just drive around until you see something. I know. Cover it's, ground. It's... And a lot of guys hunt that way.
1: Well, you, you just never know. Like, yeah, yeah, I can see why they do. But, anyways, yeah, go on.
0: <clears throat> so, to be outside of the 90%, mm-hmm. the answer is find somewhere where there's no logging roads and walk. Yeah. And you get yourself in a position where, like, literally, i found in British Columbia, yeah, if, if you want to find game, mm-hmm. Go to somewhere that you can't see from a road.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because
0: guys will either sit on the road and look and see them and walk over there and try and get them, or they'll drive a road and run into them and get them. Mm-hmm. But there's not many guys that will park a truck and walk, walk for more than, say, 25, 30 minutes, yeah. slog, to get to a point where they can look. So if you're, you know, even on the island, it probably rings well, true with your black tail. It, if you can't yeah. see them easily then that tends to be where i mean assuming it's the right yeah condition well right place for an animal to be living yeah it it, it certainly worked well
1: for me that was my challenge last year like i have access to one really good farmer's field mm-hmm. maybe in the future another i did try the log and road stuff and i just felt like i like what am i like I, i've never seen i've seen like a few does here maybe so i i just don't know the area so i guess the only way to get out there is get on foot and explore and I and felt like I was just wasting a lot of time and gas like when I was driving roads and then I'd get out and walk a bit and I'd be like eh, I don't know if I should get you know but I guess that's that's what you gotta do is just we well, you got to walk and and every animal is slightly different right so if you
0: become a Vancouver Island blacktail specialist and this rings true for any species of animal you hunt anywhere
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean your, your basics are you know keep the wind in your face yeah. stay off the skyline and don't make too much noise yeah there, you that gets you 80% of the way there, yeah. But then that last 20% is really understanding the ecology of the animal and what they're doing, yeah. So, depending on what time of year you're hunting them, mm-hmm. you know, and because you're you know limited by sh- seasons here, yeah, like you've only got a defined period of time where you have to learn mm-hmm. at home, we've got to figure out what they're doing for 365 years days of the year, yeah. To be able to hunt them, like you know, effectively like that. But here you've got a defined season. Yeah. So what are they doing right now? You know, and what are they going to be doing next month? Once mm-hmm. you start figuring that out, you know, your animal behaviour and animal ecology really starts coming into it, and figuring out where are they feeding.
1: Yeah, and as a I think where are they bedding? Yeah. And why okay. are they?
0: What are they eating? Yeah. You know, and why are they eating that at this time of year? So if they're eating that. Mm-hmm. Then, logically speaking, then there should be deer on this place yes. or that place, you know. And if that is true, then where are they more likely to bed, and where are they going to be traveling? And where's a spot that I can be
1: mm-hmm. to intercept I, them? I mean, here on the island, uh, if you have access to a good farmer's field with forested area around it, you're you go generally pretty good for deer. But it, it's those old the older bucks. Suppose we live up high in the. Yeah. high mountains in the in the, in the the timber. And I've heard and, that's a
0: fantastic hunt.
1: Oh, I'd love to do it. Like, I'd love to do it properly. With I just, I feel like I go up there, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, there might be, I, I saw a doe, I think, and I'm looking for sign, and there's some trails, but it's like, I could walk for five hours. And, yeah.
0: So in yeah. a situation like that, I would just find somewhere <clears throat> high.
1: Yeah, and just sit, sit, sit there and in watch. glass. Okay,
0: good. Because if, you, if you're starting to see, you know, if you've got a nice, you know, we're in, this northern hemisphere So you find a nice South facing slope That's going to get some sun Yeah Oh well, there you go And you know See. The sun means A they like being warm And B That's where most of the Growth will be <clears throat> Because it gets more sunlight mm-hmm. So if you can find Somewhere that you can look at From a distance With some altitude You'll just sit You know and You like might have to advice. sit For two, two or three days With
1: a pair of binoculars Well I should experiment In a few different spots Close by home And then what you'll
0: do Is you'll start seeing deer Yeah Right, and then you'll be able to, the the biggest thing for me is when you're seeing deer like that when you're glassing, and it took me a while to figure this out, but when you're seeing them, I'm always asking why are they there, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. Because animals don't do things for fun. Yeah. They don't do things randomly. Mm -hmm. If you see them in an area, they're either living there, feeding Mm -hmm. there, or traveling. Yeah. You know, and and then over here, I guess, they do get pushed around a little bit by predators at times, which can sort of throw a spanner in the works. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, there's a reason for them to be where they are. And -hmm. then once you understand that, Mm -hmm. then when you're at their level and you're hunting, then those little bits of information feed into your overall strategy. Because you think, okay, this area here looks like X, so I should slow down or I should just sit here for a minute and see if there's anything...
1: Yeah, learning the like one thing with the blacktails I've found is I've they're not patternable like the whitetails in Saskatchewan that Jim hunts, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I've had deer pop up on camera for one day, two day, and then you never see them again all season.
0: Well, the biggest difference here is he's them. feeding them, huh? He's feeding them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's feeding. Them. So if you're if you're baiting an animal,
1: it's really <laughs> easy to pattern it. It's really easy to pattern them. But I, like you're you can legally bait in BC, right? For, I think you can for deer. For deer, not berries. believe birds. so. Yeah. yeah. There's some rules I, I haven't, but, I mean, maybe you lay out apples. Yeah. I mean, they'll... But, but that's I,
0: no different from, you know, <clears throat> you know, a tree falling over and then you know that they really like those trees, like that, to eat. So if one of those gets blown over, mm-hmm. it becomes a deer magnet. Yeah. Or you might just casually break a branch off and suddenly yeah. you got yourself a deer magnet, right?
1: Deer magnet, I like that. Understanding
0: that's that. that kind of ecology. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean... Generally, wild animals, unless it's you know, if you if you're not feeding something or baiting something,
1: yeah, they're they not are they they're are cruising. more
0: patentable early on, yeah. So when they are in the summertime, oh, like. they are more less likely to do big distances, particularly when they're growing their antlers, yeah. So they're more likely to be high if they've got velvet because they don't like.
1: But even like black t- or all even deer is similar.
0: Generally. Because early summer and spring, yeah. there's usually a lot more feed around,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they don't have to go as far uh, to feed. So there's a few factors that seem to affect them here in North America. Mm-hmm. It's bugs. Yeah. So if the bugs are really bad down in the valleys, a lot of animals will go higher just to get away from them because there's a bit more air movement.
1: Good point. like that.
0: They blacktail, like they haven't got very big antlers, but... Nope. Generally, when they're growing their antlers, they don't like bumping them into things. It, it's uncomfortable; it hurts them. They don't like it, so mm. they tend to stay away from really heavy, heavy dense, yeah, undergrowth.
1: But if you get up high in those mountains, that's why they say those big guys live up in those mountains because it's big, huge, like nice open trails mm. and just open meadows.
0: No one's gonna bother them up there. Mm. It's away from, and then the bucks all live together at that time of year. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to find. You don't feel like you're seeing as many deer that you should be seeing. Mm-hmm. But then when you do find a deer, there's usually four or five of them together. Yeah. All those bucks being in a bachelor group. Interesting. And then as they strip their velvet and they think about breeding, then yeah. their patterns become, they're relatively hard to, you know, I'm sure there are patterns to their breeding, mm-hmm. particularly early on when they're marking out their territories. Yeah. But then once they... You know, once the rubber meets the road and they start chasing each other around and stuff, it's just, you know, it's kind of but bit more pandemonium.
1: Yeah. Uh, my first season there, I'll just tell you a quick story. Um, I got my first buck with my son, Cato. I think Cato was seven or eight. It's pretty exciting. Um, and then... I was hunting because you have two deer, right? So second, got the second deer with Cato. He actually spotted it. I was about to shoot a spiker just for me. And he's like, dad. And that guy <laughs> walked out. Yeah. This. And then anyway, so <clears throat> I had a couple of buddies hunting the same property and I went to um, just collect my stealth cam because I was like, oh, I'm done. So, yeah. and they don't really care. Like, I just like to see what deer come in anyways. And there was a huge buck. So. Uh, the next day, I just went there with my video camera to film just in case I saw the big buck. Yeah. And lo and behold, across the field, I it was a five-by-four blacktail. But when I zoomed, I, I didn't realize with the, with the camera. I, I, yeah. I got within 100 yards for about five minutes and filmed this blacktail in the rut. Yeah. And he's, really cool. to me, he looked nice. But I, you know, you know you look it through a screen yeah. three inches big, right? So I brought the footage home. I zoomed in on it. It was like a nice five by four, but he was um really old buck with like really huge brow ties, just beautiful. Anyways, so we hunted, so my I showed my buddy the footage and they hunted all season. He never came back. Oh. Never once did they see him again. So, I mean. Those big boys must live somewhere. I don't know. It was, it's pretty, I should show you that footage of one, like, I didn't, it's not see. great footage, but when you zoom in and see what the deer looked like, black mm, car, it was cool. a pretty cool blacktail for around here. Like it was. Yeah, like maybe five-inch brow tines, and they're all ratty on
0: each side. Because what you'll figure out, um, you know, you keep hunting the same one, is you'll figure the deer out to a certain yeah. level, right? And then, you know, and you're in a cool part, a good, you know, in a cool stage of your life where your boys are going to start getting into the hunting, and, yeah. you know, and then it'll be more about them and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. at some point, you're going to, you know, shoot your first tag, <laughs> fill up the freezer with meat. Yeah. And then you're going to go out there and the deer will be standing and you'll think, well, I don't really want my season to be over Yeah. at this point. I want to keep I hunting. did that a
1: lot last year. Which means... <laughs> I did a lot. Of, I don't want my the, season to be over. The so. easiest
0: thing to do is yeah. if you still want to hunt, hunt, is just shift the goalpost back. And the easiest way to shift the golf post, goalpost back is the pick up a bow and put your rifle at home yeah because So it's I, I, so I need to practice
1: much harder harder so much oh yeah. harder. jim's had plenty he just like the spain thing he just unsuccessful five-day ibex hunt yeah. but he next morning he just he had two hours and he went and shot it with a rifle yeah but he spent five days with a bow and didn't get it didn't get an ibex yeah it's it's really hard
0: like, you get lucky every so often, but to consistently no, go out yeah. and get things with a bow, it takes be, effort. It takes effort. It takes a lot of skill. Commitment. So like you're, you know, shooting at the buck and losing mm-hmm. it feedback. Mm-hmm. Hunting with a bow increases your hunting feedback really quickly because yeah. you'll sneak up on basically anything that's legal <laughs> mm-hmm. just so you've got an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, But you get all that practice without pulling the trigger
1: yeah and that's the excitement i think is getting close to the animals that's what i've always loved even when i was a kid you know trying to sneak up close to an animal um like playing bows with and like cops and robbers with your brother like it's always been about like that's and i think that's i love like i can see it in my boys too when we're getting close to something or we see an elk or see a bear or see a deer they're they're excited who doesn't get excited about seeing wild animals up close? Like exactly, I I love it.
0: And there's something very therapeutic about practicing. Yeah, practicing. And there's a there's a huge sort of, um, I guess, duty of care that you feel as a hunter to be good enough mm-hmm. to go out and shoot an animal with your bow. Like it's particularly if you've seen it go bad at some
1: point. I think that's my biggest fear. Is like, you know, okay, I'm, you know, I've, I'm gonna go get a bow and. And I'm going to screw up my first shot because I'm going to just fall apart. Or is that fear? Because it, but I guess if you, again, practice like practice, it drives you to practice, which drives you to like, it's good,
0: you know, it stretches out your muscles, it's good for your mind. Yeah, practice. And it's fun. Like, just shooting a, it's it's amazing Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. fun shooting a bit of bloody polystyrene block. Trying to hit a target is fun. At the same distance over and over again. Yeah. It is, it blew my mind. How addictive that is.
1: Yeah, it's true. My wife's, like, vegetarian. Hasn't touched meat in 20 years. She likes... She understands why I hunt. She understands what Jim does. Um, me, like, my only experience hunting was shooting gophers, missing gophers, whatever. Right. I, I did hit some. I know I did. I was there. <laughs> I don't care what they say. <laughs> but, I mean, at the end of the day, hunting is... Um, it's just... You know, in a day and age where... Kids' faces are literally buried in screens. Yeah. Uh, To take your kid out and just enjoy the outdoors and and, um, spend some time. You you don't have to kill anything. You can can hear an owl, see a raven, see some deer, see elk, whatever. Just uh, experience discomfort. Like, you know, you're wet, you're cold, you're hungry, you have to go to the washroom, your legs asleep from sitting, like whatever, versus... Discomfort because you can't watch a show or Netflix or Wi-Fi is out. Yeah. You know, like, that's what I appreciate about hunting.
0: Yeah. No, that's a pretty good um, so. note to finish on.
1: Yeah. And right, I appreciate pal. you as well. Why? What well, I think, I think uh, just your nickname, mad I <laughs> Does anyone call you that? M-A-T-T-E-H. You know, what, they to, what does that stand for? E-H. I don't know. Canada. I, I A I. Canadians say I Mate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, it's been good chatting to you. All right, you too. um,
1: Yeah. Thanks for popping by the uh home office. Pretty cool, man. I like your house. Thanks, dude.